welcome to Travels with Dante. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Contos 19 and 20, where we enter the ring of avarice, who has the sinner lying down on dust. Yeah, and actually to introduce this whole thing, Dante has this dream. It's a nightmare, really. Uh, he had fallen asleep, and now he has like this dream of this woman, a stammering woman, cross-eyed and lurching on her two wrenched feet. Right, this like actually really, really kind of horrifying, like disfigured woman who's a siren, right? And in the like mythology, a siren was these like beautiful creatures that would sing to sailors and lure them off the boat to where they would drown, right? And it was always actually this imagery of being led astray by the like deception of beauty. But it's interesting here the way that it's done because. It's the nightmare is this like ugly woman who then like begins to sing. And as Dante is staring at her, right, he says, so did my gaze now straighten all her length uh, and brought the color love most desires to her pallid face. And she is singing. And so he actually like, uh, she is like horribly ugly, but then in fixing his eyes upon her and letting his imagination go astray, in his imagination, he's making her beautiful and then is being more and more deceived by her. And then she actually says, like, I am the siren, she who steals the might of mariners upon the open sea. They hear my singing with such sweet delight. Actually, like, this is the perfect imagery for what we're going to hear about next of greed, of avarice, is mm -hmm. that, like, if you think about when some, if you actually look at just, like, a pile of gold or, like, a stack of bills, the actual image itself isn't that beautiful or attractive you know what I mean like compared to like the beach or the mountains or like a really beautiful person a stack of bills is, is not beautiful yeah you know what I mean like it's yeah. not but what happens is is our imagination imposes beauty on it by thinking about all the things that we could do with it and all of the opportunities and things like that so he's actually doing something really insightful about the nature of greed like it's not the money itself like someone staring at their bank account it's just numbers right? Like that's not beautiful, but your imagination creates all of the things that you can do with it and imposes beauty on it, but it's actually an ugly thing. Yeah. And beyond that, the image of the sailor jumping off the ship to go after the siren, it gets to the deeper point that like this thing we're chasing at that in our imagination is beautiful, actually makes us like depart from our journey, like jump off the boat, like forget where we're going and why we're going there to go chase after this thing. And when we finally get to it, like we're disappointed by it and it turns out to be a monster. Yeah, like right? we drown. How many people, mm -hmm. right, like begin kind of climbing socioeconomically. They save for the sake of their family and they get so lured in by it and then they actually neglect their family and spend so much time on work and actually like lose their family. And then like they have all of this money and they're like, lost from yeah. their family, right? Like, I mean, Breaking Bad is such an example of this, right? Who begins to, like, sell meth. He says to, like, provide for his family because he has cancer, right? Mm -hmm. And he says he's doing it for his family. And he ends up losing his family, destroying the town, losing everything in this journey of selling meth. To where at the end, he actually says very honestly, like, I did it because I was good at it and because I liked it, yeah. right? But it's an ugly, horrifying thing. So that's the image that's given is the siren, who is actually ugly, but the mind puts, like, the imagination imposes beauty upon it in being lured in, right? Um, and then actually, though, like, Dante is saved in the dream by... Uh, 
It says, there appeared beside me to reduce her to confusion, a blessed lady. It's unclear who exactly this is, but most likely it's St. Lucy, the patron saint of sight, right? Who's been guiding Dante this whole way, uh, like from a distance. And, and Lucy stands next to her and says, Virgil, Virgil, what's she doing here, right? So even like our need for the intercession of the saints and that we actually can't, again, we can't save ourselves and we need to be interceded for. Like this is a beautiful moment. And then Virgil shows up and uh, he says, he's gazed, he seized and ripped the curtains off that wench and showed me her whole paunch and all below, which woke me with the putrefying stench. Oh, it's hard to interrupt, but it's cool that if it's Lucy, who's the patron saint of sight, she's the one to like reveal what this thing is, right? She makes Dante see the siren for what it truly is. Yeah, she brings him back to himself, exactly. And mm-hmm. Virgil, because Virgil's the one who steps in and rips off the curtain. Mm-hmm. And remember, revelation is unveiling. Yeah. It's revealing what's underneath. And so what's revealed underneath is her horrible ugliness, right? Uh, which is a good thing. And I think one of the really painful things in the spiritual life is when God reveals the ugliness of something we keep clinging to. Yeah. Maybe like a really unhealthy relationship or an attachment to sin, or like even some people have a sense of like the ugliness of partying really hard, mm-hmm. and that it's actually like kind of an unhappy thing, and they almost don't want the veil lifted off, mm-hmm. right? Um, so then, like it's lifted off, and he awakes from the dream, uh, and they start walking along, and as they're walking, though. Uh, Virgil sees that Dante is still kind of stuck in this, and he says, you're gazing at the ground, what's troubling you? And Dante's like, I'm still thinking about this dream. And then he says, uh, he says, that sorceress of old, you saw who's repented in these upper rings. You saw how men must bolt out of her fold. Enough. Trample the earth beneath your heels. Turn your eyes to the everlasting king who calls you by the sweep of heaven's vast wheels. Mm-hmm. Right? Fix your eyes upon Christ the King, right, on the one who actually matters and keep walking, right? Yeah. But put your eyes upon him and not on the siren and not on the ground, but on, on him. Yeah. And that gets to how we overcome temptation, right? A lot of people think that when they experience temptation, like if they wrestle with it and like they look at it and like they look at their thoughts and think hard enough, like they're going to overcome it. But really, the way we free ourselves of temptation is not like by fighting it. It's just by looking at God, by taking our thought away from the thing and looking at our beloved. Exactly. I remember this line from St. Jose Maria Escriva where he's like, a child who's wise, even if he is weak, knows when he's in trouble to run to his parents, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, It's like, I can't handle this, so I run to my parents. And even there's a story of St. Philip Neri, who was such a holy, like, pure man, but like somebody had tricked him into going to a whorehouse and he didn't realize it. And then when he got there, he just like ran away. Yeah. <laughs> like he, even in all of his like purity, you know. So it uh, calls him to like look higher. And it says, We reached the clear space in that fifth round. I saw great crowds lamenting everywhere, all lying with their faces to the ground. So here's all of these people face down in the dust, and they hear them praying a psalm from Psalm 118. So even this imagery of like the Mass or Liturgy of the Hours, they're praying a psalm, and it's, my soul cleaves to the dust, right? Uh, And so they are like, and they're literally like clinging to the dust. They are face down in the dust. Do you want to say something about that, about why this is the, the punishment, or the purification that it is? Yeah, there's just so much in this imagery 
firstly, there's like the the more obvious part, which is the fact that when they were on Earth, like they were they pursued worldly things. They pursued money, power, and in doing that, they took their eyes away from God, from the higher things, to look at dust, to pursue dust. So in purgatory, they're made to experience this by literally looking down to the ground, to dust, and not up to God. Further, uh, I might get a little bit ahead of myself, but we'll cover it more deeply. We'll see later on. They talk about dignity, right? And that's another thing. They're not just looking down while standing up. They're lying down on the ground. Because when they were on earth, they reduced their dignity. They were made for God, but they reduced their dignity to the worldly things. So they took themselves down to the level of the worldly. So that's why instead of like not even being standing up looking down, they're lying down. It's because man is made for God. And instead of engaging in that, they put themselves down to the level of physical like things that pass away. Yeah, and it's funny, like we think about people that spend all of their life like building themselves socioeconomically and it's almost like if you're not doing that you're wasting your life mm -hmm. and here you find out like okay like you live a life and then you die and so if you spend all of your life on this thing of dust like it's actually like a waste of your life and yeah. so what the pope says like the pope that we're just about to meet he's like as our eyes were never raised on high but fixed themselves upon the things of earth here justice humbles them to touch the ground right so their eyes are actually touching the ground. They're so like immersed in the dust that they spent their life upon. And he actually says, no pain upon the hill is more severe. This is the most painful of all of the like purifications. Mm -hmm. Like pride is the worst, right? But this is the most painful one here with yeah. their eyes like cloven to the dust. And really, if you think about the other ones, like lying down on the ground like it seems bad but it doesn't seem as bad as like carrying like super heavy weights or having your eyes sewn shut so physically as a torment it doesn't seem like the worst one but spiritually it really is the worst one because what they're being made to look at is the fact that they're in purgatory they're on their way to heaven like they're gonna see god and even then they they're still looking at the ground like they're still looking at the world instead of being able to look at god yeah. And another connection, the person that we're going to meet, because Dante calls out to like, who is the one like calling out? And it's Pope Adrian V. And you're actually, there's a parallel here with Inferno, mm -hmm. because the punishment of the Seminists and talking about the papacy and when Dante like really, really went after the Pope down there uh, was Canto 19. So here you have another Pope kind of bemoaning, but one who is like going to go to heaven, but another Pope bemoaning the corruption that existed within the papacy at the time. And he actually says, and this is Pope Adrian V, who, died, who became Pope and died in 1276. He was only Pope for 38 days, a very short time. Mm -hmm. But here in telling his story, he actually, and this gets at all the things that we're talking about. One month and little more, I felt that mantle's weight on any man who'd guard it from the mud, Right. Uh, and then he says, when I, I had been made shepherd of Rome, and like that's what he wanted, the power, he wanted the like influence, all of these things, but he gets it. He becomes Pope, and he says, when I discovered how the life I'd led was a cheat, for it could not still the heart, right? Mm -hmm. So he like does all of these things, becomes Pope, and he discovers that everything that life had kind of promised him was actually like a deception, because it couldn't still the heart. It did not satisfy the heart. He discovers the siren that called him is actually like ugly. Mm -hmm. But then in that, praise God, right? He says, um, 
nor from its highest reaches could one climb. So for this life, I felt the flame of love, as in like the spiritual life of actually like living Christianity. A miserable soul, until that time was I severed from God, consumed in greed. Now I am punished here as you perceive. So he actually repents before he dies. He recognizes it's a dead end, begins to hunger for greater things, and like it begins to like have penitence. So again, though, you have another image of before in Canto 19, the Pope is head down in the ground, Mm -hmm. and Dante is leaning over him. And here you have Dante leaning over Pope Adrian, right? Uh, Hearing about, again, the greed of the papacy, but this is one who has actually like repented. And out of actually respect for, and what's interesting here is like in Canto 19 of Inferno, uh, Dante doesn't kneel before the Pope. He leans down. But mm-hmm. here, actually, he leans, and Adrian's like, no, 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 what are you doing? Like, I'm meant to be the servant of the servants. Like, rise up and stand, right? And then asks that uh, Dante find his daughter, his niece, his niece, Elagia, and ask her to pray for them, pray for him. Uh, and, yeah, it's a beautiful scene that's, like, mirroring Canto 19 of the Inferno. And then we continue on of Avarice in Canto 20. And they're like walking, and they're walking really, really slowly and carefully to not step on anybody yeah. as they go. <laughs> uh, which if you remember, there are times in like Inferno when like, especially when they were going through like the the place of betrayal, when he's stepping on people, right? Mm-hmm. But here he's like very, very careful. And they hear actually someone like calling out again to Mary. And then another example as well of Fabricius, who was a politician who, in like pagan times, who actually spurned riches. Oh, Fabricius, you preferred to be virtuous and poor rather than live in vice and seize great riches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another example of actually St. Nicholas, right, who gave the three maidens uh, a gift, right, gold so that they wouldn't have to like sell themselves, basically. So different examples of generosity. And then like we meet another shade, uh, Hugh Capet. Just going to add in just a short comment. There's the cool, when they start out the canto, Dante mentions the wolf of antiquity, right? Mm. The beast, you've slain your prey to fill your fathomless rapacity. So this is like the image of the wolf that greedily consumes and wants to keep consuming. And this, if you remember, this is the beast back from canto one. He's bringing it back. But Going back to Hugh Capet. Uh, Good catch, by the way, like, that this is the the greed of wolf from Kanto 1, mm-hmm. right? Like, all of this is so, like, intertwined. And the things that, like, trapped him, right? Because that's one of the three that, that snared him, right? Yeah. Greed, pride, and lust. Mm-hmm. And so here it's mentioned and encountered. But keep going. Yeah. Uh, one of the cool things we're seeing in Purgatory is at the end of each ring, Dante starts encountering souls who, like, are the opposite of their vice. Like, you start seeing how these souls are purified. So Dante, he comes up to Hugh Capet, and he asks him to tell him about his life, and he tells him, the words you speak won't go without reward. And Hugh Capet responds, I'll tell you, not for any strength I expect from the world, but for the grace which shines such light in you before your death. So he's telling him, like, yes, for whatever reward... I don't care about the rewards of the world, right? I don't care about any strength from the world, but the light that shines in you before death. So grace. So you'll see Hugh Capet is already breaking free from the desire of the world Mm. and seeing that the only good thing is grace, which comes from God and leads us to God. Beautiful. 
Yeah, like just like uh, kind of Mark the Lombard as well. Yeah. Right. Or or um, Sophia. Right. Who are living the opposite of what they fell into in life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good stuff, man. Just a quick word about who Hugh Capet is. He is the beginning of the Capetian line of kings in France of the French monarchy that ended with like Charlemagne's line ended childless. Although he says that like he there's a, a legend that he had a son who became a monk, but I, from what we understand, he was actually like childless. And then Hugh Capet takes over, and his line of kings continues from, like, he died in, so Hugh Capet dies in 956, and his line continues to, like, the 10th generation up to Philip IV uh, during the time of Dante. And he's actually, Hugh Capet is bemoaning all of the different, like, things that his generations did acting out of greed, and also how they meddled in Italy. There was a lot of meddling in in Italy in the time of this, to the point where you have Philip IV, who has suppressed the Knights Templar for their wealth, the Order of the Knights Templar, which there were things going on, but like it's mainly for their wealth. And then also after Pope Boniface VIII put out Unum Sanctum, this document about like no salvation outside the church, and also about like kind of the spiritual authority of the church over the temporal authority of kings. Philip IV doesn't like this, so he captures Boniface VIII at his residence and puts him on house. He sends his thugs, they put him on house and arrest, and they beat him up. And they keep him there until like the people begin to riot for capturing the Pope. And they let him go, and he returns to Rome, old and broken, and eventually dies. Mm-hmm. Right, And even though uh, Dante kind of hates Boniface VIII, he talks about how evil this action is. And Hugh Capet is, like, lamenting all of the things that his, like, generation of kings did and how they not only meddled in Italy, but also, like, in their greed hurt all of these people and did all of this damage. What more harm can you do, O Avarice, now that you've drawn my race so close to you? They take no care for their own flesh and blood, right? And then, actually, at the end, Hugh Capet mentions, he says... Uh, these words I spoke referring to that sole spouse of the Holy Spirit in reference to Mary. This is the antiphon for all our prayers as long as the day lasts. So all of those that are trapped in avarice like actually call out asking Mary to pray for them because she is the opposite, right? Like mm-hmm. she is the, the, the meek, poor, humble one. So they're calling out to actually like be interceded by, by Mary uh, because she is the example. And then he like... Uh, for then we tell the story of Pygmalion, and he gives all of these examples of people punished by their greed, like King yep. Midas, right, who, like, everything he touches t- t- turns to gold, including his food so he can't eat, right? Aachen, Sapphira, right, if you remember Ananias and Sapphira from the Acts of the Apostles, who promised to give everything to Peter and Paul, but they only give part of it, so they, like, are struck dead. All of these different, Paul Nestor, who cut down Polydorus, like all of these examples. Uh, and then he says, so when you heard me, I was not alone speaking of virtue in that day, but nearest no voice was raised so high by anyone. So that's why like they hear Hugh Capet and meet him, mm-hmm. right? Then after our, like all these images, um, they feel the hill tremble, like there's an earthquake, and then they hear the people singing glory to God in the highest, which is like when we hear the sinners sing, it's always a response to the sin they're being purified of. Yeah, like, and if you think about, actually, like, the singing the Gloria happens on feast days mm-hmm. in Mass, right? Um, just as, like, we heard them singing the Te Deum 
uh, as they entered Mount Purgatory, which is what for like Office of Readings or Morning Prayer you sing, right, on feast days. And so singing the Gloria, uh, it's really, really beautiful because I think about in like weddings and baptisms, you skip the penitential rite and you go right into singing the Gloria because something beautiful is happening. A soul is like entering heaven in some way, right? Mm -hmm. And so here as well, like they hear the Gloria as all of Mount Purgatory shakes and they don't know why at this moment, but we're actually going to find out in the next canto. Yep. And with that cliffhanger, we leave you for episode 34. I'll see you next time for cantos 21 and 22. See you then.